Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. I went back and forth a lot on what exactly I wanted to do this morning because I had several things, several options, and it's our, our last gathering before uh, in the end of the year because of the holiday coming up. So uh, it took me a while to figure out which, which one, uh, direction I wanted to go, but I landed on Ephesians chapter 5, and I want us to dwell on our responsibility and role as husbands today and uh, think through a, a familiar passage one of my favorite passages from Ephesians 5. We'll look at verses 22 all the way through uh, 33. <clears throat> but before we begin, can I get a volunteer to open us in prayer? Sure. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead, Drew. Well, we are so thankful for this opportunity to dig into your word this morning. We're so thankful to tackle the topic of being husband. It's a wonderful role that you have created and you have given to us. And uh, we are all very thankful for the, the, the generous and bountiful gift of our wives, of our helpmates. And Lord, I pray this morning that you open our eyes to your word to apply it to our hearts where we can grow and give you more glory and appreciate and nourish and care for our wives in a more godly way. Pray this thing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so when you think marriage and marriage roles, I hope you think Ephesians 5. There are other passages that deal with marriage, but... In Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 33, we have probably the most thorough handling of the roles within marriage in one key passage. And so I want us to just take some time and think through this. And you know, these are intended, if you're new to our group, they're intended to be interactive. Uh, I'm going to share some things and I'm going to ask questions and I want you to talk with me. And really the goal is not just just understand the text, but to think through how does this apply to our lives? How should this affect us? And uh, how should we be different because of this truth? So let's just read the whole text to begin, and then we'll back up and work our way through it. So this is Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 22. It says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands. Love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to also, ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Now, I want to I take a moment and begin. I, I, it's tempting to jump to verse 25 and just start with the command to husbands. But I want to talk about our wives' role for a moment, not from the standpoint of, of 
what should they be doing? They're not here. They wouldn't really benefit from that. And I wouldn't suggest you give them the recording either. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think that would go well for you. So um, that's not really the goal. I want you to think about this from the standpoint of what is it like? I want us to walk a mile in our wife's shoes because I don't think we often think through what it must be like to be in their position and to have to fulfill the role that they have. And I think when we understand that and when we think about that and put ourselves in their shoes, it's going to affect the way we fulfill our role towards them. And so with that in mind, let's look at verse 22. Verse 22 actually flows out of the context that precedes it. In verse 21, we actually get the verb for verse 22 from verse 21. That's why B subject is in italics, most likely, in your Bible, in verse 22. Um, the, the passage right before, in fact, flip back over real quick to verse 15 of chapter 5, where he begins this new section and says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. This overarching idea of be careful how you walk really affects the rest of what comes in the chapter. And he leads from there to the end of that section, verse 21. Uh, let's start in verse 20. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now that, <clears throat> that verb, be subject, modifies or is modified by the rest of the, the chapter. So he says, wives, be subject to your husbands. Children, be subject to your parents. Slaves, be subject to masters. So that, that one verb really affects the rest of this. So it's appropriate then. In Greek, this happens often where the verb is, is not physically written. It's borrowed from another place or it's assumed. In this case, it's borrowed from verse 21. Wives, be subject to your own husband's as to the Lord. When you think about the wife's role in marriage and take kind of synthesize what the scripture says, there are three primary responsibilities she has as a wife. She is to submit to her husband. She's to love her husband. We get that from Titus 2. And she's to respect her husband, which we see at the end of the, of the section here in verse 33. So submit, love, and respect. I want you to think about that for a moment <clears throat> and what that must be like as a wife. Notice it says, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then it says, go to verse 24, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in most things. Is that what it says? <laughs> in everything. I think sometimes we come to this passage <clears throat> not with the intent of understanding the role our wives have, but in wanting our wives to understand better the role they have, right? Let me ask you, in your job, in, in life in general, in areas where you have authorities over you, how do you do in submitting to the authorities in your life? Particularly, how do you do in submitting to the authorities in your life when they are unreasonable or when your ideas are different than theirs? How do you do when you share your opinions with your boss or someone in authority over you and they push them aside and they don't really take them seriously or treat you as if you don't really have a, an authoritative voice to listen to? You know, I, I think when we start to ask questions like that, it really helps hone in on what it's like in our homes with our wives 
when they come to us with an idea or they come to us with a suggestion of how they would like something and how we should respond. Let's, let's take a, think about it this way. How would you describe, and I want you to talk with me, the characteristics of what we would say is a godly boss? What would be the characteristics of a, a, a godly person in authority? <clears throat> Fair. Fair, yeah. Take the time to understand and know me. Mm-hmm. I care Respectful. about you. Respectful. Wise. Wise. Approachable. Approachable, yeah. Transparent. Mm-hmm. Transparent. Good. How'd you? Slow to anger. Slow to anger, yeah. You see the fruits of the spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The fruits of the spirit demonstrated in their life. Be a servant. Mm-hmm. You serve the people under them. <clears throat> Nobody likes a boss that <clears throat> is always giving orders but is unwilling to get down and do the work that is necessary like as well. Predictable. What's that? Predictable, so that if I go to them, suddenly know, I know yeah. how they're going to react. It is frustrating when uh, one day they respond favorably to something and the very next day they don't. <coughs> I bring that up because I, I just I, I think I think it will affect when we get to our role here in just a minute. It will affect it when we think about really our wives are commanded to submit to us in everything. In the biggest decisions of lives of life and in the small. And we are not perfect men, we are sinners. So they are they are bound and they they in the covenant of marriage bound to us and our leadership come what may. Now, how can our wives do that without despairing? Well, verse 22, look at the end of the verse. As to the Lord. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. That phrase, as to the Lord, is, is important, and it affects, uh, the idea of it affects not only the wife, but us as well in our role. Wives and husbands have a responsibility to fulfill their roles not because of their affection primarily for their spouse, but for their, because of their affection and allegiance and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. How can a woman say that she could commit at the altar to submit to a man for the rest of her life who is a sinner and will make mistakes in his leadership? Because ultimately she has to understand, I'm not committing to do that because I think he's the best leader on the face of the earth. It's because I love the Lord Jesus Christ and I trust that Christ has set up the home in such a way as this. And therefore, I am ultimately laying myself at the feet of my Savior. And I can trust that His ways are always right and good. Now, that's important for us to understand too, because where we get in trouble when it comes to roles in marriage, and I see this in, in marriage counseling all the time, is when we take our eyes off of Christ and we put our eyes on our spouse, and they do the same. If you seek, if your wife is seeking to submit to you, love you, and respect you based upon how you're doing as a husband, it's going to go like this, right? And if you're seeking to love your wife as Christ loves the church based on how lovable she seems at the time and how well she's doing in her role, it's going to go like this. How is it that we can be consistent? on both our wives and ourselves in our roles, is to understand that we do them as to the Lord. Therefore, it does not matter 
um, how my wife is doing that day. It doesn't matter how I'm doing that way from her that day from her perspective as to how I'm held accountable for what I do. God holds me accountable to be a godly husband. He holds my wife accountable to be a godly wife um, apart from our performance as individuals. And I think that understanding, for me personally, as when we were early in marriage, when I began to understand that concept, it changed everything uh, for me and my perspective. Because so many of the books, even Christian books that are on the shelves, um, <clears throat> I have one on my shelf, more as a reminder not to ever offer to anybody. It's called, <laughs> called uh, His Needs, Her Needs. And the, the book is, is all built, built around understanding our needs and when our needs are met, you know, then, then things are good. And so it's all about getting my needs met and meeting her needs. And when we do that, everything's going to be good. And it misses the whole point. It's not about having my needs met. It's not even about me perfectly fulfilling her needs. It's about loving Christ and that that's, that's my motivation. I'm accountable to him at the end of the day, and so is my wife, and so are you, regardless of how well your spouse is doing in their role. So that as to the Lord phrase is crucial to understanding um, how it is we can do these things. But also, another important truth that runs throughout this text is verse 23, For the husband's the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church. There's more going on in Christian marriage than just two people living life together and loving each other. We are to be painting a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the the relationship between Christ and the church. So we are playing roles, not just roles in marriage, but we're playing roles that matter on the scale of eternity in the sense that the world should be able to look at our marriages and see the, the willing submission of our wives and the spiritual leadership of us as husbands and how we treat, how those things relate together and see the picture of Christ in the church so that we are all, in a sense, displaying the gospel in our relationships with our, with our wives. Notice when he says, verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, <clears throat> there's nothing there that is explanatory based upon the husband. Right, there, 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 What I mean is that there's this fact, the husband's the head of the wife. He doesn't go on to say, for the husband's the head of the wife because men are smarter than women and they are better leaders and they're, is that what it says? Why is the husband the head of the wife? Well, God said so, right? God, God placed us in a role. It's the way God wanted it to be because it reflected um, something that God wanted to reflect with the relationship of Christ and the church. It has nothing to do with us, guys. We are not, and I, don't, I hope none of us consciously think, well, I'm, of course I'm a leader because I'm this, I don't, I don't think we think that. But we can kind of start to think, well, yeah, this is, this is how it's supposed to be because of something within us. You're the leader of your home. You're the head of your wife because God said it up that way, right? And so it's important to understand that, that it, it is not because our wives are in any way inferior to us. It is a matter of, of roles that, that Christ has set up for us. And we need to keep that in mind. Um, now, with, with that in mind, with, with that context, <clears throat> I want us to turn quickly to Genesis chapter 3. Because 
it's a struggle to, I mean, if you've worked in the workplace any period of time, you know that, that submission is, it doesn't come naturally. We have to work at submitting to those in, in authority over us, even when they're a good boss, because of our sin. And that's not easy for our wives. Uh, how could it be? And here's the reason. I want us to see this. Obviously, in the beginning, God created us perfectly. And the, the first marriage before sin operated perfectly. These roles, by the way, were in place before the fall. This is how God set it up from the beginning. It's just before the fall, it, became, it was natural. The man led the way he was supposed to. The wife submitted the way she was supposed to. And they found joy in those things. And it became, it became naturally. But what happened? Well, it, at the fall, everything changes. And I want you to see something particularly about the punishment given to the woman in Genesis 3, verse 16. It says, To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. That last line, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you, is describing that now the marriage relationship will have stress and strain because of the effects of sin. That when it says that he, you will desire, your desire will be for your husband, the way I believe that this is written, what it means is it's, it deals with this, this headship that there'll be the temptation for her to usurp the husband's role in leadership. And the husband then sinfully will respond by ruling with a heavy hand to try to get things back in place. And so there's this struggle now, this tug of war for leadership in the home. And, and so when you, when you deal with that, we're all sinners, none of us have perfect marriages, and, and you, you try to shepherd and lead through that. Put yourself for a second in your wife's shoes as to what God's commanded her to do. And think of Genesis three sixteen and the fact that God told us this is going to be difficult now because of sin. And it's going to take a lot of sanctification. It's going to take the Lord Jesus Christ working in our hearts for our marriages to be what God intends for them to be. And so I think we should have some grace with our wives in this area, realizing it's hard for us to submit to the authorities in our own life. The other thing I want you to notice before we move to the husband's role specifically is that there, in no place in these verses... Does it say that it's the husband's responsibility to make sure that his wife does her role? Does it say that? It doesn't. And so it's, it's, not, it's not our place in leadership to seek to force this role upon our wives. Where does the motivation come from for her? Verse 22, as to the Lord. Motivation comes from her own relationship with the Lord and her submission to Him. And so keeping that in mind, that that is not our role. It doesn't mean that we don't ever have discussions together about ways that we would like the other one to work on this or that or the other, but it's not our place sinfully to, to bring our wives into subjection. She's will, willfully to place herself under us in submission. Now with that context, let's look at verse 25, where he begins to talk specifically about our role as husbands. Husbands... Love your wives. The word love there is a command. It's a present tense command. It's the idea of this ongoing, intentional, active love for our wives. And when he says husbands love your wives, 
if we have the wrong understanding of what love is and, and our definition of love, then we might think that it's pretty simple. We got off easy. Our wives have to submit to us and we just have to love them. It's like, well, I already love her. That's why I married her. So I'm good. But he goes on to define love for us by the person and work of Jesus Christ. Verse 25, love your wives just as or in the same way as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Let's talk about Christ's love for the church for a moment. Obviously, the ultimate uh, picture of his love for the church is the fact that he gave himself up. He died. He willingly sacrificed himself. But as you think about Scripture and Christ's care for the church, what are some other examples or, or things that you would bring up about the characteristics of Christ's love for the church? What would you say? Selfless. Selfless. Mm-hmm. Patient. Patient, yeah. He had the attitude of a servant. Mm-hmm. Came not to, to be served, or not, not to serve, not to be served. And about what God was about. Mm-hmm. Fulfilling. Yeah. <clears throat> Sacrificial. Not in terms of, of the cross, but just how he lived his life. Mm-hmm. And also leadership. Building the church. Yeah. <clears throat> Leading. Anybody else? Humility. Hmm. Remember when you said leadership, and made me think just investing. You know, mm-hmm. Spent time, lots of, lots of personal time with those who need to invest in. Hmm. And he never got frustrated by that, that it was needed. You know, I mean, it was he was willing and ready. Protection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You think about that even in the garden um, when Jesus is being arrested, and he, he basically says, you have me. Who is it you're here to arrest? And he says it twice. Jesus, well, that's me. Let these guys go. And we see that protection continue. <clears throat> When we think about this word love and the fact that it's a command, what are the implications of the fact that it's a command? There's no getting around it. It's not optional how you feel. It's not based on emotion. It's not based on emotion, right. You, you hear that in the world, that phrase, we've, we just fell out of love. <clears throat> That's unbiblical because love's commanded of us, and it's to be in the way that Christ loved the church. And when we think about the love that Christ has for the church, does Christ love the church because there was something in us that was just so wonderfully lovable that it drew him to us in that way? Why does the Bible say, how does it describe the love of God towards his people as far as how it initiated? Now, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for yeah. So that means that God made an intentional choice in eternity past that he would set his love on us, right? That's the, the beautiful joy of election, that he set his love on us and it will never fade. It will never, because it was never dependent on us in the first place and it's not dependent on, upon us in an ongoing sense. 
We didn't get it because of our efforts. We can't keep it because of our efforts. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Now, obviously, we have the benefit in marriage. If you married your wife, there, there at least at some point was a romantic sense to that love and a, a true affection, a, a joy to be with her. I pray and, and hope and assume that's still the case in your marriage. But regardless, love your wives. Set your love on your wife. And so it's this active choice of the will uh, that every day, every moment of the day, I will love my wife. Regardless of how my sinful flesh feels, right? Because our, our flesh is all over the map. And our emotions are all over the map. And so... Um, we have to make the conscious choice and remember, this is what I'm held accountable to, love my wife, and I'm to do it in the way that Christ loves his church. He gave himself up for her. So he's, he deals, first of all, with the sacrificial nature of the love of Christ. The love of Christ compelled him to give his very life to redeem the church. Now, obviously, one implication of that is that we, we ought to be able to we ought to lay down our lives for our wives, um, but I, I want you to see the 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 real implication of that comes in verse twenty six when he says so that okay, why did he do that why did he love the church in this way what was he trying to accomplish or what did he accomplish so that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Understand that the, the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross was not just to demonstrate his love for us. It was to actually accomplish something on our behalf so that he might sanctify her. That is, that he might make her holy, Right? that he might set her apart as holy. We, we talk about sanctification in a couple of different ways in the Bible. It's used to, to mean to set apart as holy, and then it's used in the progressive sense of that we are being made holy step by step, day by day, and that, that process. Jesus Christ died that he might make you, if you're a Christian, holy. That he might cleanse you, having cleansed her by what? The washing of the water with the word. You see the connection between sanctification and the word of God? <clears throat> Through the word of God, we are sanctified, we are purified, we're made holy. With this goal, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. You know, I was just thinking about this illustration. I just read Esther in my just regular Bible reading time. And you remember the, the women that are brought before the king <clears throat> are all go through this beautification process, right? Well, for a whole year, they're made more beautiful and all these things so that the king will be pleased with them, hopefully. That's not how Jesus treats us. Jesus does the work of the sanctifying, Right? He died, purchased us, sanctifies us so that he will bring us to himself. Right? He does the work on the behalf of his bride, that he might bring the bride to himself in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. So this is what pleases Christ. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
that in and of itself is sacrificial love. But he never intended for us to stay in that condition. He died for us while we were yet sinners that he might redeem us and make us actually holy. So that he says, by the time we're presented to him, he even says, in all her glory, that there's going to be a glory attached to us because of what Christ has accomplished and done in us. That Obviously, that will bring glory to Christ, but think about that. He talks about us, the bride of Christ, as being glory, having glory. We used to normally think of God having glory, but in all her glory, that is because of what he's accomplished in us. And he describes what that glory consists of, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that we will, he will accomplish the work he set out to do. He died to sanctify us, to make us holy, and he's going to accomplish it. He's going to bring us to himself with no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. All sin and all every remnant of sin will be removed, that we might be with him in that condition for all eternity. <clears throat> now, remember, this is an illustration. It's truth of what is actually happening to the bride of Christ, but it's also to make a point about marriage. So let's, let's bring it back full circle then to how does this affect our role for our wives the love that we have for our wives is to have the same goal and the same effect right we're to love our wives just as christ loved the church it's a sacrificial love and it's a sanctifying love that the christ's goal for the church is that she would be sinless and blameless and holy that she might be with him for all eternity. That means, men, that the love that we have for our wives must have a sanctifying effect uh, on her character. That she should be more like Jesus Christ because she's married to you than if she wasn't because of the effect that, that God has through you in her life. Now, with that in mind, I, I was, I'm always convicted by that, but as I was kind of rehearsing this again, for this morning, I started asking myself some questions. <clears throat> I want to ask you, you don't have to answer the question, but I want you to think about it. What is your highest goal for your wife? Not what should it be, but what are the, what are the goals you have for your wife? The things that you really wish she'd be, did this better and did that better and she'd grow in this way. If I had to give you the list... The real list, before you came, not, not since we just talked about this verse, but the real list. <clears throat> What's on the list, right? Uh, you know, I was convicted by that because what's on Christ's list is all spiritual, right? And nothing to do with how she cleans the house or how she cooks dinner or how she does any, anything else. It has everything to do with her being like the Lord Jesus Christ. So I think our goals for our wives need some tweaking, right? And once your goals change for your wife, it changes how you treat your wife, what you do with your wife, and the things that you're doing to promote those goals. Because when we have goals for our wives, we either consciously or subconsciously begin to do things to try to prompt those goals to come to fruition, don't we? A little comment here, you know, maybe you could do that different. Uh, you know, maybe we could, what do you think about? And we're, and I'm not saying it's wrong to have goals in our marriage to, to progress in different things, but I am saying 
What's the proportion between your goals for her spiritual growth and other things? And what are you doing? I'm saying you, but I'm talking to me too. What are, what are we doing to promote true spiritual growth in the lives of our wives? You know, I think another aspect of that is you cannot lead your wife where you're not going, right? And you, you can want your wife to read her Bible more and pray more and all these things. Be more hospitable. But if you're not pursuing those things, and she's supposed to be patterning her life underneath your leadership, it's not going to work. Just as, you're, as if your boss is telling you to do all these things at work, and yet his, his, his life is totally different than what he wants his employees to do. It's the same thing for us. And so this sanctifying effect begins with us being committed to sanctification in our own lives in the sense of pursuing it by the means that God has provided. How's your prayer life? How's your time in the Word? How, how willing are you to be hospitable? How well are you sharing the gospel? Uh, you know, how well are you serving in the church? Um, <clears throat> and so we need to begin with with this thought, if your wife adopted your spiritual practices to a T, when you read the Bible, she read the Bible. For the length of time you read the Bible with the kind of attention you give to it, with the way you apply it or don't apply it. If she prayed every time you prayed for the length of time you prayed. If she shared the gospel every time you shared the gospel. If she did on and on and on. Would she becoming, be becoming more like Christ if she adopted your spiritual habits? I think that's that's convicting, but that's how we need to think. And also, if sanctification is the highest goal we should have for our wives, that means the first order of business is to pray for our wives. Because who does the work of sanctification? Not us. Right? God does. How often do you pray for your wife? And when it, and how often do you pray for her sanctification? And not for her to change in some other way that would benefit you. Right? It's probably one of the things that has helped not to have anger in a place of where something she might have done to me, but I needed to look past. And to get to that point is what really would change things to begin to pray for sanctification. Mm hmm. I had one of, my, one of my favorite professors in seminary. He was the hardest professor I ever had, but he was fantastic. Encourages men, pray for your wives. So do you pray for your wife's sanctification? Do you pray for your sanctification? Do you want to be sanctified? Do you, do you, want, do you, want, your, do you want your life to be sanctified? Um, I, I, think, I think to our shame, we can find ourselves praying for our wives, but, so, but, but maybe not for the things that really we ought to be praying for our wives. And so it begins there. Make it a regular habit, a daily habit. Just as you pray, I hope, for the salvation of your children, if they're not in Christ, pray for the sanctification of your wife and for your own. Begin there, and it will soften you towards your wife, and it will and it'll help you think biblically towards her uh, throughout the day. Then begin thinking, okay, what habits have I allowed in our home life and are those helpful habits to promote spiritual growth? Um, you know, do, do we ever talk about spiritual things? Do we ever pray beyond 
meal time? Do we do we ever read the word or read a book together or discuss the sermon from Sunday? I mean, just begin to think through, and it doesn't have to become. A, God intends for us to enjoy life with our wives. It, one of the greatest gifts of marriage is companionship, and so it doesn't mean you can't watch a movie together and or go on a date and have fun. It's not every moment of your life is sit down and I'm going to read the Bible to you. I don't mean that. I do mean though is is there a spiritual focus to the relationship you have with your wife? Is it natural to talk about when you're on a date in the car? Does it feel natural to flow in and out of conversations that are spiritual? Hey, I was reading today and this verse just hit me. I mean, I was thinking this is is that a, a natural thing with your wife or would that feel really forced and awkward? And if the answer is yes, it would feel very forced and awkward. The, the response is not to be uh, disheartened. It's to say, okay, what do I need to do then? What do I need to do where that isn't that way? And begin trying different things, promoting those conversations. But that's where our focus needs to be. If we're to love our wives just as Christ loved the church, that means that her sanctification is to be our highest priority. So it begins with our sanctification and then flows down to how we interact with, with our wives. Now he moves on from there. Verse 28 says, So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. Now what does he mean by that? Well, he goes on to explain. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we're members of his body. Now, this is important for us to understand because he gives a very helpful illustration. <clears throat> you Men, you may not like the way your body looks or the way it feels. It may hurt in places you wish it didn't hurt, but I guarantee you, you take care of your body in the way that you want to. When I say take care of, I don't mean maybe the way the doctor would want you to, but you take care of it in the way that you want to take care of it, right? You, when it's hungry, you feed it. Oftentimes, it's hungry. You feed it exactly what it's really hungry for, what it wants, right? Um, I was, on the way home from Houston from Thanksgiving, I really wanted Chipotle, and there's, there, it's a, there is no Chipotle from North Houston to South Dallas. It's just nada. I found myself, we, we, we went off-road to get off this place to get to Chipotle because I really wanted Chipotle. We, take care, we find ways to take care of our bodies in that sense. Um, but... That's why he says, look, love her like you love your body. And those words, nourishes and cherishes it. If we asked your wife, we asked my wife, hey, describe in a couple of words the care your husband has for you. You know, how, how would you describe it? Would nourish or cherish come up? I just feel like he, he just cherishes me. He, he nourishes me. He care, takes care of me. Now, those words bring up a whole lot of ideas. We ought to nourish and cherish our wives in the sense of caring and providing for their physical needs, putting a roof over their head, clothes on their back, food on the table. But it, but it goes beyond that into some of the things that we've already discussed with her spiritual good, being willing to care for her relationally, listen to her, talking with her, spending time with her, doing the things that matter to her. Um, how do you, I think the way you spend your money is a, is a good, um, sometimes barometer of, of your care for your wife. I've, I've seen husbands where they are super tight. They won't spend money on anything. 
accept things they really want, right? The wife's been wanting a new oven and kitchen for like 10 years. We don't have money for that. I mean, what a waste of money. How could you even want to renovate the kitchen? But vacation to this place I really wanted to go, yeah, that's, we need to spend money on that because, because that's what I want to do, right? I think, so your money, your pocketbook can be a good place to look. I'm not saying you should just blow money and buy whatever your wife wants you to buy, but I am saying if you're willing to look back, look, here's a good exercise, look back over the last five years at, at what were the bigger purchases you were willing to make. How many of them related to you really wanted it so you found a way to buy it versus you knew it would really minister to your wife and so you found a way to buy it? I think those are good exercises to do. Um, but think of her actively like you would think about yourself in the way that you, you know, you stump your toe and your whole body goes into this mode of caring for that one member of your body, right? Your hands come down, you're, everybody, you're looking at everybody like don't even come close. Like the rest of your body is ready to fight to protect that one part. Is that how we, when our wives hurt, is that how we respond? Um, is it all hands on deck to care and nourish and cherish? Um, or is it a, a harsh, frustrated, annoyed response? <clears throat> I think this is a perfect illustration because none of us can deny the fact that we, we love ourselves. We take care of ourselves and we take care of our bodies in the way that we want to. And he says, do that for your wife. Because that's what Christ does for his church. Now... He moves on because we're members of his body. And then he quotes in verse 31 from Genesis chapter 2. This was Moses' observation from the uh, first marriage ceremony. For this reason, Moses is saying it based upon the establishment and the covenant that God has designed here with Adam and Eve. For that reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. But Paul takes that and says there's also another intention. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. What he's saying is, yes, we, we, we get married, we follow in this ceremony because it's what God established in the garden between Adam and Eve. It's God's covenant. He sets the terms and the, and the definitions. But also, there is this mysterious way in which God has always intended for the marriage relationship to picture the relationship of Christ and the church that at that time was still future when it was when it begun but now is made actual so I think with that in mind a good question to ask is if do people see the gospel in my marriage relationship do they see the kind of love Christ has for his church when they see the way I treat my wife. And then our wives have to ask, do they see, can people see the way the church is supposed to lovingly submit to Christ based on how they live their lives? Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. That's the second role that he mentions here for our wives. They're to respect their husband. Now, that's commanded of the wife regardless of whether the husband is respectable. She is to respect him. But let me ask you this. How easy do you make it for your wife to respect you? Is it 
something she has to work at day and night because maybe you're not as respectable as you ought to be. So she has to get creative in her finding ways to respect you. I think while I'm not at all negating what I said before, and that is our roles are dependent upon Christ and our love for Christ. They're motivated by that. That's our authority. That's our reason. But we can make it easier for our wives to do those things when we are faithfully leading. It's much easier to submit to somebody who's kind, who loves you, who shows you sacrificial care, who listens to you, who cares for your needs. That's the kind of person that when they want to do something and lead something, you're like, okay, let's go, right? Um, or she's not even having to be tempted to talk to her sister or mom or girlfriend on the phone about, ah, oh, I can't believe you won't believe disrespecting her husband. Um, because they're, it's not, no, it's pretty great actually to be married to him. We, we want to have, we want to love our wives in such a way that, that it becomes a blessing for them to fulfill the role that God's designed for them. And, you know, I, I think when you come to, I hope what you get from these studies is that when you come to a text, begin asking questions of yourself based upon the truths in the text. And to me, that's where the application of the text opens, where I say, okay, this is what it says. How am I doing at that? You know, how, am I, how am I not doing in those areas? So I, I want you to take some time today as you go about the rest of your day and just evaluating the love that you have for your wife. Because as men, this is one of the primary areas in which our, our Christianity, our love for Christ, is to be on display. It's in our home towards our wife. That's the primary human relationship you have. And so as we evaluate our own Christianity and how we're living out our faith, start there. Uh, start with your wife, and then we'll talk about kids, um, and then we'll talk about the church and the world. But start in your marriage. And I pray that God will help us to be more faithful in these things. And I hope it was helpful to walk through this text. Um, why don't I pray for us? And then those of you that need to go head to work, go ahead. And the rest we could stay and talk for a little bit longer. But let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word, for the clarity of it. We thank you for the conviction of the spirit in our lives where we, we see that we're failing in these things. We, we freely confess that we do not live up to this standard. Um, you alone love like this in perfection. But God, we pray that you would help us to be uh, growing in our sacrificial love for our wives. Help us to be the kind of husbands that make it uh, natural and free and easy for our wives to fulfill their roles because of the way we love them and care for them. And God, may the gospel be on display in our homes uh, by the marriage relationship that we have. Thank you for the gift of marriage. May we never forget that it is a wonderful gift, and may we seek to honor you through it. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.